This is Transmission, a bilingual digital marketing podcast presented by Alphaco Marketing and Media. Hello, and welcome to Transmission, an Alphaco Marketing and Media podcast. I am joined today by my esteemed colleague, Juan Pablo Osorio. Juan Pablo, how are you? I'm doing uh, very well. Really enjoying like, springtime here in Texas. It is beautiful, beautiful weather. Um, we're forecasted to have like, what, eight days of rain now? Um, are you getting that down in Houston as well? Yes, yes. It's been some rain over here, and it's been a lot of what they call the spring I forgot what they call it exactly, but all the flowers and trees getting filled up with the flowers, the magnolias coming out, so it's pretty nice. It is. It's a pretty time to be to be here for sure. Um, I don't know. Spring is a, probably the best season, though I'm a little partial to fall. So for those of you who've listened to the podcast a couple of times so far, what I'd call our, our regular listeners here on our third podcast, um, you'll know that we like to start this off just talking a little bit about our, our weekend, what we've been up to, Juan Pablo, what were you up to, what have you been up to since we last spoke? Man, I've been uh, coaching my son's uh, flag football team, and uh, it's been really fun working with the kids and feeling like for a moment like you're in the middle of a championship, and then afterwards you realize that it was just a little league flag football, but it's been very exciting. Although I learned my position is more to bring the kids in order rather than call the plays, I had to recruit another coach to call plays because it's not my talent <laughs> fair well it's good to know your your strengths and weaknesses that's that is a talent in and of itself i haven't i don't have any children and i've not been around flag football in a very long time tell me about that what does it look like how many people are on the field like is it like seven on seven is it full teams what is what is flag football today yeah so depending on how many kids show up from each team it's usually seven on seven or six on six we play 10 minute quarters and there's some a little bit of adjustment on the rules like there's certain zones where there's like no running plays but uh it's just really fun there's offense defense and the kids are running their hearts out there is no tackling okay although one of the ref did tell my son that he would pull him out of the game if he saw him pushing the other kids <laughs> my son is just ready for contact football when is that coming? When when is like the next step in in football? So he goes to a summer camp. He's actually gonna go to two summer camps with contact football, and then um, in August when he starts uh, eighth grade, he will be joining uh, the actual middle school football team. Amazing. I'm working with him to get him prepared for that. Congratulations! What uh what position is he gonna play? He's been playing center and nose guard. He's a big boy. Oh, cool. I remember back when I played football, I went to one of these summer camps and we were all, we were kind of hot shots, right? I thought I was I was big stuff and we were coached by a bunch of offensive linemen. Like they were running the camp and if you ever have if you've seen an offensive lineman in particular one who's about to graduate high school, these are big boys. And when you're in a skinny little kid in middle school, never in a million years do you think this big guy can outrun you. But I remember we none of us wanted to like do extra laps or something and so we bet him all of the eighth graders, like if, if any of us can beat you in a race, then we don't have to do more laps. This dude, I, again, he must have weighed 250 pounds. He smoked us. He smoked us all. He was like, what an athlete. I'm telling you, like, I think people think that the guys in the trenches are just like big boys, but they're athletes. Like, honestly, they may be the best athletes on the field. Yeah, man. It reminds me of that one uh, Super Bowl. I think it was the Steelers versus the New England Patriots. And there was this big offensive lineman who run the whole like 98 yards like nobody could catch him <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, they're not just there to be big. Like they're they're big, they're athletic, they're strong. It's it's really impressive. It's kind of just an example of how there's different types of physicality, different types of athleticism as well. Yes, sir. What about you? What you been up to? You know, uh, this past weekend was was actually my anniversary. So my wife and I we celebrated our our sixth anniversary, which is depending on what website you're on on the internet, either the candy anniversary, the wood anniversary, or the iron anniversary. I didn't do any of those things. We ended up, we went to a little arts festival downtown and spent some time there. And then we had reservations at a kind of like a Chinese tasting menu, but it was in the chef's kitchen. It was a really cool concept. It was like a, a group table with, and the host like kind of entertained as well. So we had to play like, we played a game like the prompt was if the zombie apocalypse happened right now while we were at dinner, what skill set would you bring? So just kind of like an interesting experience. Uh, really, really good food, a lot of fun, had some good wine as well, had a really nice time for the anniversary. Happy anniversary, Graham. Appreciate it, man. I know you know about this, but I can't believe how fast marriage goes by. Time really flies. Man, may God bless you with many more years of happy marriage. Appreciate it. Yeah, our, our marriage is almost in school. So um, here soon, our marriage will be a little elementary schooler, which is crazy to think about. <laughs> man, I was going to ask you, what was your skill during the zombie apocalypse? Oh, man. So people had some, some strange ones, and I was one of the last ones to go. So by the time it got to me, I just took duct tape. I just decided I was the duct tape master. Anything I needed done with duct tape, I'd be there for. <laughs> That's fun. Duct tape can do almost anything. You know, yeah, I, I don't know. One girl volunteered to die first. I thought that was a little morbid. Yeah, one girl was just like, well, you know, I'm really good at spreadsheets. I'm like, huh, I don't know. What are you going to do? You're going to throw a spreadsheet at a zombie? I'm not sure that helps us much. Granted, I don't know what you're going to do with duct tape either, but here we are. Man, you do need an administrative staff and get everybody uh, uh, organized to, to survive something. So maybe she... That's true. <laughs> It management's forever. There's no <laughs> doubt about that. <laughs> well, I wanted to get together today and our topic for today's conversation is just the, the value of, of bilingual marketing. I kind of want to introduce this and then Juan Pablo really wants you to, to run with it here just because in large part, you know, bilingual marketing is to a degree the story of Alphaco. This is kind of the, the original idea and definitely want to hear a little bit about that from you. But with that, I wanted to introduce kind of why we think this is important. And, you know, the top line statistic here for me is that as consumers, Latinos already represent a $1 trillion dollar market in the United States. That's directly from the consulting firm McKinsey. I think that that's just a really powerful example of the why it would be valuable to to market to this group of people. A couple of other valuable statistics beyond that, the U.S. now has the second largest population of Spanish speakers in the world. So if you're ignoring this group, you know, I think you're really ignoring a big part of, of the market in the United States. And then finally, that group represents about 20% of the population in the U.S., people who are either native or bilingual Spanish speakers. A 20% increase in anything is a ton. So and I, I certainly wouldn't ever want to ignore 20% of a demographic. And so all of this, to me, builds like a really compelling statistical case for why we should even start to think about or talk about bilingual marketing. With that, Juan Pablo, why don't you tell me a little bit more about your journey, why this is important to you, and why you think it's so valuable. Yes, yes, definitely this topic touches to my heart in many ways. I came to the United States when I was about 10, 11 years old, and my dad, he didn't really speak English. He was just a hardworking man, and he told us, you need to learn English real quick. 
and you know it took me about six months to really catch on the language but as soon as he saw that i could understand and speak a little bit i was now the designated person for any inbound phone call that came in to the house so uh, he would put me on the phone and he would ask me what are they saying and i would become the official translator of the house the same thing with the mail when mail came in every day i had a task to translate word per word every letter. And it was a daunting task for an 11 year old to have to uh, uh, translate all the mail. I was gonna say, so just by the fact that you learned English, you became like pretty important to your family's ability to, to interact, like right, to read the mail, to answer phone calls, like all of that stuff really became your job because you could speak English, right? Yeah, although I would have preferred to be playing video games. but uh yeah that became a task that was a daily occurrence i even translated letters that came from school to my father oh that must Um, have been nice actually (laughs) sometimes (laughs) yeah i was gonna say unfortunately i'm pretty sure a is the same in both languages yeah although they i think they use e in south america at least where i'm from (laughs) okay so maybe a little some lines you could get away with there you know go Erase that A, make it an E, and call it a good day. I had to explain to him that A's were good. It actually meant. Uh-huh. <laughs> but yeah, I think early on, I realized the importance for businesses to understand their audience and communicate in the language that they speak. Because sometimes having an 11-year-old translate important documents might not be the best idea for the regular consumer. Sure. Companies are spending a lot of money on on marketing and if the audience qualities cannot understand them only the kids can there might be some missed opportunities that led me throughout life to always reflect on this how can businesses communicate to audiences that are multilingual yeah i know for me at least like when we kind of met and got together and i really started thinking about this i just realized how much i'd taken for granted how much like of my life was supported by by marketing in a language that i could understand you know like this is like a bad example but how would i have ever known that i preferred this brand of toothpaste over this brand of toothpaste without having like seen some of the marketing materials and being able to understand some of those things you know not the best example but like to make something a little more practical for us how would i pick a doctor how would i have ever picked a doctor if i wasn't able to understand what the doctor was offering or what their credentials were or even what type of physician they were just simply because I couldn't understand. And so I kind of got to thinking about how like, it's not just about selling people stuff. Actually, like marketing is communication. It is information. It is supporting a community because at the end of the day, selling is not forcing anybody to take anything. You're raising awareness about something that might actually make somebody's life better. And to me, that's what this is all about. Yes, sir. Yes. There's been so many instances where there's a missed opportunities from brands to connect with communities. I have family in New Jersey and they have problem with English. Although some of, you know, the younger ones they learn, it's more like the elders, but those are the main purchase power in the house. I've had, you know, my aunts even call me and ask me to uh, translate for them. And at times it might be like medical documents. They don't understand. So it is sure. it is very important. And I, that's my big message now when I speak to, to audiences is, you know, your business should be bilingual, especially if you have, if you serve the community. For example, just here in Houston, we have 45% Spanish speaking population. And as a business, 
If you're not bilingual, you might be missing out on about 50% of the market share. For sure. I think that makes a ton of sense and is really an important way to put it. 50% of the market share is, that's a lot, you know, that's not nothing. And I think that that's absolutely worth tapping into. You know, the other thing that I, I kind of, I always think about when I'm thinking about why we want to market bilingually or just offer these services bilingually is I, I think about the the Juntos Crescimos program that we participated in through Pepsi, where we're working with, with Spanish-speaking restaurateurs to help them not only communicate their message, but optimize their marketing, optimize their websites, et cetera, is that this goes both ways as well, right? Like we've had been fortunate enough and had the opportunity to work with people who are primarily Spanish speakers and, and want to serve both audiences. And so they need help translating from Spanish to English, but they also still want to be able to support their local community, their kind of native tongue community as well. And so I don't think that it is, you know, it's not a one-way street. It very much is a two-way relationship where if we can all support each other, then the community grows as a whole. Yes, yes. And um, to touch a little deeper on the subject, this concept of marketing to diverse communities in their languages doesn't involve just translating content into the other language, but taking the context of the community and serving them in a way that speaks to them. Such a great point. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's really, a, it's not just about translating. It's about being culturally relevant. Yes, it's about transmitting your business's message, showing your target audience a reality that they can relate to and how your business can improve their lives. And it just translating might not be like just using a translate and copy and paste might not be the right approach, although it is a good intention already. So this actually, I think, brings up a really good opportunity for, for me to say, you know, one of the things we want to do here in this podcast is try and provide some actual tactile things you can do to improve your your marketing, whether it's your bilingual marketing or any any subject we talk about here. We want to kind of provide like some do's and don'ts. One of the big, I wouldn't say it's a full stop don't, but talk to me a little bit about why Google Translate, for example, maybe is not the best way to provide you know this type of translation. So the role of language is to unite people and learn about their realities. Using Google Translate can definitely be a liability at times because what the AI might think is the right word in the other language, once read, might be offensive might be wrong, might take the intention of what's the message and change it. So this approach of just using a translator can actually put your business into a liability or miscommunicate your intention of the message. Mm -hmm. So we say that um, to be successful is important. It's crucial for businesses to understand the unique cultural and linguistics preferences. This includes a commitment to in inclusiveness, cultural sensitivity, and communicating the message of your brand in a way that will be received by that audience. And it's not always the words. It can also be the images, putting images yeah. that represent that community in your marketing as well. I think that's really powerful stuff. Bring this back a little bit more, more tactical. I know from experience that when we work with folks who provide like a Google Translate on their website, for example, they don't also get the benefit of actually showing up for search results. So let's say you, Juan Pablo, wanted to search for something in Spanish. If the website used Google Translate, they would never show up for that search term because of how Google Translate works. So not only does it provide you know, an inferior, not necessarily culturally sensitive translation, 
it also isn't giving you the computer advantage that you want where your your website isn't being indexed by Google. You're not now showing up for Spanish results. So it is kind of like a, a double loss. Sure, it's a free tool, but it, it's almost worse because it gives you the veneer of something that's working and doing what you want when in fact it's not really doing anything that you want it to do. Yes, yes. You know, on the more granular level, as we talked about in our last podcast, AI content or just copying and pasting from Google Translate might not really be effective for your business. What are some of the consequences of just not caring and just, you know, we just don't care. We just use Google Translate. There's another brand around the corner that is generating content that is made for the audience. They're going to capture the market share. And this is a population that continues to grow. We've been seeing lately a lot of the traditional big businesses closing their doors because they're not adapting to the realities of the market. And we do say, if your community, if part of the people that use your services or goods, speak a different language, it might be beneficial for you to spend a little bit of time and care and really be inclusive in, into this messaging and have translators who, from that culture, who will actually understand how to transcribe your message in a way that it's positive and that is, is receptive. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you've kind of touched on something that we've seen a lot of is called the first mover's advantage, right? It's the idea that by being the first in a market or the first to do something, you gain an outsized portion of the market share. And that's something that we've seen a lot of, you know, when we've worked with businesses in Houston, for example, and they do decide to provide like that bilingual translation, that bilingual marketing we see that they, sure, the market size that they have to capture in Houston, it's it's 50%, but it grows more than that because there's A, less people doing it, so there's less competition there, and B, there is kind of a an appreciation that you, the business, have taken the time to actually communicate in a language that people in your community can understand. And that, to me, it does. It builds brand equity. It makes people value your business more. And I think that it does a really, really great job of communicating the value that you bring to your local community or to your your broader business community and represents you as somebody who, who cares, right? You aren't just doing the least. You are actually trying to add value to people's lives with the services that you provide. Man, and uh, there is something about, you know, it might not be unique to the Hispanic community, but the Hispanics, they value brand loyalty. Once... Some of these mm-hmm. uh, customers lock into a brand, they will stand by it for years to come. They will go to the same doctor, they will use the same toothpaste, they will go to the store and grab the same brand once they have been captured. And this is very important because if we think of customer life value, it can be very beneficial for a business to communicate in the language of, of their audience because these consumers, once they trust the brand, they will continue to go back. Whether you're providing a local service or a local product, it can translate into a long-term value relationship. I totally agree. Um, you know, one thing that we're trying to do here with the pod is is to keep them in a little bit more like bite-sized elements to around half an hour. So I do want to wrap up this conversation, but before we do, I'm going to surprise you with something here a little bit so i apologize but in the effort of of being a little bit more helpful what are two do's and one don't for bilingual marketing 
Um, I know I'm putting you on the spot here, so apologies for that. But yeah, let's try and give two do's and one don't for bilingual or specifically Spanish language marketing. Okay, one of my first best tips that I can provide and I provide for businesses is that if you already have content that's engaging, you already have a, a library of material and collateral and content that has worked in the past, it's very easy to use translator service or an agency to revise this and put it into the Spanish language. Because although people might speak different languages, they have the similar pains and pain points and similar feelings. So if you already have content that's been engaging in the past in English, get it revised by a translator agency and you okay. already have content on hand. So that's tip number one. Tip number Love two, that. think about it as a blue ocean strategy. Understand that if you need to grow your revenue, profits, if you want to grow your brand reach, then this is a great way for you to start tapping into a growing market in the United States and thinking about how most of the content in America is Spanish speaking if you go from Mexico to Argentina. So for brands that are looking to be more international, once you gain market share here in the United States, you can start tapping into markets south of the border, which is a billions of population. And then one don't is, as we talked about, please don't just use Google Translate for your brand to be represented. Your brand should be bilingual, but not just a robot translating your messaging because, as I mentioned, there might be liabilities involved with that or miscommunication. That's awesome. Really, really appreciate that. You know, how can people reach us if they want to learn more or kind of continue the conversation here on specifically bilingual digital marketing? Yeah, so we're always open to come and, and talk to your audiences about the importance of bilingual marketing and what bilingual marketing is, or if even if it's just a consultation, we are always eager yeah. and ready to speak to businesses and audiences about the topic. Reach us out at alphacomarketing.com. Uh, you can also find us on LinkedIn, go to our website, we're on social media. We do go to conferences and speak on the topic. So maybe we can see each other soon or we can come to your organization or to your business and see how we can best serve you. So what I was going to say, I was going to say, you speak on this pretty often. So anybody who wants to talk to a real expert on the subject, don't hesitate to reach out to, to Juan Pablo Osorio on LinkedIn or, or find us through the website. We definitely want to put you in touch and are more than happy to, to keep that conversation going. Um, okay, so in, in wrapping up, we always do this, you know, again, for our regular listeners here after pod three, you'll know that, but we like to wrap these conversations up with just a little something kind of pop culturally relevant that you've experienced in the last week or so. I am going to start as just kind of a quick com point of conversation here, but I was on Twitter the other day and somebody named Kevin Lee posted, I'm just going to read this. I live near this spot in New York City. Is this dumb or the smartest SEO marketing strategy of all time for a restaurant. And then there's a picture of a, a restaurant and the literal name of the business, the sign on top of the business, the physical sign on the street says, and I quote, Thai food near me. Juan Pablo, is this the smartest or the dumbest thing you've ever seen a business do? I think it's uh, they're listening to consumer behavior because the Keywords near me are, is growing like over 150% year to year. So if a lot of people search for Thai food near me in that area, that entrepreneur is capturing now a lot of that audience. And 
I think it's it's original. It's it's good, and if you don't really search on SEO, the the name is still kind of catchy. Uh, so I think it's a good idea. <laughs> it's it's interesting. Yeah, I I think it's curious. I'd love to know how you know how foot traffic, how website traffic changed after I assume they changed their name to this. But one of the things that strikes me is like I you know the near me modifier I've always thought of as like assigned to Google not to like search for the term near me, but to geofence your results, if that makes sense. It's not that you're looking for restaurants called near me when you type near me in Google. When you type near me in Google, what you're really telling Google is to like limit the results to a geographic location near where you are. So I'd be very curious how this works. And beyond that, maybe if I type Thai food near me now and I'm in Texas, nowhere near New York City, is this restaurant going to pop up? And is that useful to me at all? I, I don't know. So it, I, I'm fascinated by it. I imagine it's probably helping them. But I also think that it's it's kind of like the first order of, of silliness, um, just a little bit. Uh, Thai food near me, that's funny. Maybe we should be AlphaCo Marketing and Media near me. Man, I, I don't know. You know, I, I love to go to New York and explore the streets and find a new restaurant. And I think if I'm hungry, I would read that as Thai food near my heart. So I would walk in there <laughs> and uh, perfect. like I want this food near me, literally. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, what about you, Al Pablo? What piece of pop culture has got you thinking this week? So I've been, uh, I'm out, I like to watch some of the sports and uh, lately I've been watching uh, Formula One and it's interesting to see how, you know, that we have some Spanish speaking drivers, Checo Perez, Carlos Sainz, and there's been a history of them throughout, but you see Checo Perez go and he's doing very well, but uh, I've seen the Spanish broadcast and he's doing interviews in English and Spanish. And right now he's representing the Mexico and the Hispanic community very well. So yeah, it's, 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 it's been nice to see some Latino representation in, uh, in Formula One. Man, I, I love Checo too. He's, he's awesome. It's been really exciting seeing him over the last, like, it's months now, but the last few races, I should say, really put some points on the board and get some, some great finishes under his belt. And then watching the Miami Grand Prix, I, I wish he could have won, but it was really great seeing the type of support that he had there in Miami. That was just a really cool visual and, and really fun to, to witness. And, and uh, yeah, it's, it's been really good. Also, Fernando Alonso, you know, the oldest driver on the grid. Oh, I don't know that we have time to talk about Fernando today because I could talk about Fernando for a long, long time. What a what an Iron Man! What an absolute legend! Yeah, it was it was interesting to see on the pole over the weekend. There was uh, three Latinos who were on pole for the qualifiers. So it's like such a cool like statistic. I don't know what you call that, but that's what a cool thing to have happened. But yeah, I think uh, the F1 is doing a better job at representing different communities. So I like to see that. I like to see Joe. I like to see sure. um, the broadcasters, the people that are representing the journalists. You can see there's some diversity. So I think they're on a good approach on that, which leads to our sure. main topic today, which is if you serve in audiences who are from different demographics, it might be good for your business to also cater to them and be inclusive. For sure. People like to see themselves represented. People like to see themselves be spoken to. And, you know, the more a message can feel like it's for you, 
the more you're going to engage with it and the, the happier with that message you're going to be. So just it makes sense, right? If that is part of your audience, if that is part of your consumer base, behoove you to actually market to them for sure. And uh, before we hop off, I just have to stress this. You don't personally need to know the other language for your business to communicate in that manner. For sure. If you only know one language, don't be scared to have your business approach other audiences because they're, they're going to engage with your business, not necessarily with you personally. You know, just to take that one step further, you know, we'll, we'll work with physicians where the physician themselves is not bilingual, but either their office manager or somebody on the staff is. And, and that is enough, right? It is enough to, to have that conversation and to build that rapport and to build that bridge. So totally agree with you there. Yes, sir. Man, it's been great to meet with you today. And I look forward to uh, engaging with our audience uh, in our next podcast. Likewise, speaking of next time, I think we're going to talk a little bit about that near me search in Google My Business and how you can better take advantage of local search and what local search is. Finally, if you enjoyed the podcast today, please like and subscribe on, on Apple or Spotify. Leave us five stars. You don't have to comment. Just leave us five stars, please. Um, and you can find us on social media or check out our website at alphacomarketing.com. Thank you again. This has been Graham and Juan Pablo in Transmission. See you guys. Oh,